But I also notice myself saying that when producers ask me what I think about what they're showing or that I I like when it's less and well produced than much. And it doesn't much doesn't need to be not well produced, but it's just much more attractive with less to focus on, to think about, to really try out than a company arriving to the fair with 20 new products. Hello, my name is Luis de Oliveira, founder of Dallas Spada, and this is A Place to Talk. We are at the Burnsch Hotel in Normalm, Stockholm, to speak with Hanna Nova Beatrice, editor-in-chief at Residence Magazine. We looked at the changes affecting the world of publishing and the issues that surround the tide of new products flooding the market. So let's get right to it. Hanna Nova, this is my revenge. Because <laughs> I think around five years ago, I had you interview me. That's true. For yeah. a book that you were writing at that time. Yeah, we met in Milan. That's right. And you um, then put together an article within that book with the contents of that interview. So now I get to turn the tables around mm, perfect. and have uh, a conversation with you. And my my starting point has got to be the book because it's the bit that brought us, it's what brought us together back then. Um, I think the subject was some things changing and some things wrong in the world of design. Is that a good summary? I think it's a good summary. I think uh, it was, uh, the book was called Behind the Scenes in the Design Industry. And it was at a time, this was only five years ago, but a lot of things have changed. There's become uh, a lot of topics had not been, you know, they were just not openly discussed from distribution to production, but also about royalties and ways of working together with producers and designers. So it was people had just started to talk and uh, and I wanted to bring it up. Um, so, yeah. How did you get to that book? Because you had a job at the Swedish Design Society, right? If I remember correctly, when, when you were writing that book. A Swedish what? Was it the design, the Swedish Sphinx Forum, the Swedish Design Society? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Society. That's, yeah. Yeah, I, I was working as an editor-in-chief uh, at uh, the magazine Forum. Uh, and But I'd done a few books beforehand. But I felt that these topics, they were really relevant. And a lot of designers, they came to me and, and discussed... Uh, issues within the industries and also producers and they discussed uh, everything from selling, buying, earning money, living of design uh, to not so much environmental issues that it is today, that's the main topic today, but more than anything uh, they had felt that people weren't honestly discussing these topics. So the it was i felt the need for a bigger transparency within the industry did you have an agenda when you wrote the book did you have the book was organized around articles right so each yeah. person had a voice at a moment to present themselves but i i felt an agenda did you feel the same way that you were trying to make a certain point i mean you the, you just said that it was a point to bring out into the open certain things but did you have an agenda on how to solve it how to move forwards, or were you just going to no, be a, I didn't, a listener? No, I didn't have a specific agenda. I just really wanted, uh, I was really interested in every single one of these topics. 
And I also wanted to see a bigger understanding and transparency also for the buyer of design to understand what's going what on behind the, price, the behind the scenes and what the price, what they paid for and why they paid for it. So five years later, what, what's, what's happened? What's changed? I think five years later, there is a much bigger openness within the industry with these topics. Uh, instead, there are other topics that need to be addressed uh, and that are more relevant. I think in terms of what we pay for, I think the buyer is more knowledgeable. Uh, I think uh, the openness between designers themselves uh, are much greater today. So uh, the topics we discussed in the book, they, they have, they've, they're open now. Uh, I think there's not so much hidden discussions or so much anger between designer and producers. There's a different way of working together or a bigger understanding. Uh, designers have tried to be producers themselves. Um, I think today we're looking more at the communication part and where we're heading in the industry. Uh, the uh, sustainable issues and the amount of things we're producing. Let me break that down into parts. You said the communication part where we're heading, and sustainability, right? What is wrong with communication right now, or what is right? Why you brought it up as, we need to look at this. I think we need to look at it. Uh, I wouldn't say, we, we need communication, and I love communication. Uh, but there is a copy-paste problem to start off with. I think a lot of PR agencies, uh, they do a great job, but they do a copy-paste uh, they take care of companies, they give them the same offer. And the copy paste meaning the methods, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. the methods and the steps that they take are the same, irrespective yes, of correct. their client. Yeah. So, as someone on the receiving end, you say, I've seen this before, but from a different organization, right? So, yeah. that's copy and paste. And they, um, if you work in media, for example, Let's face it, we are less and less people working in media today. So if we were mm. 10 people in a team before, we're five today. The number of messages has gone up. So the five people are being bombarded with. So if more. we are going to, if we're five people in a team and we're going to do the dinners and the events and, and listen to the messages, we need to do two dinners per person on a design week during a fair which is not sustainable in the long run. No, unless you clone yourself, but no. So something's really wrong once again. Time for another book. Time for another book. No, and I think the uh, in this so stress for, for communicating your message and the help that the brands ask for, the real soul of the company disappears. So instead, I think many producers feel that they themselves need to do it. So I don't know, we're at the... So let, let's help each other out. Yeah. Let's, let's come up with a plan. Yeah. What, how, what, how do you work with your communication? I, I don't know. It's a struggle. Um, I think there's certainly a desire to, to find new, new ways, unique ways, right? So hopefully we don't fall into copy and paste. But I do worry about the level of noise. Um, if I don't watch out, I'm going to end up 
doing the conversation, but I want you, <laughs> I want you to redesign. I want you to redesign the industry based on what has happened. It's like, how can we then talk to each other, the different sides of the industry and not collapse each other? What, what's, where can we go from here? I really don't know, but I think something will happen within the next year. Um, but I don't know. Because you're, you're right. There are a lot of dinners yeah. to go to, right? And a I, lot of dinners. I, I went to a dinner where a guy arrived halfway. So clearly he had divided himself into two. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But that didn't feel great. Neither for no. his hosts, nor, nor for himself. Mm. I don't know. I, I've, I've raised the question so many times. I pinpointed at uh, a lot of things that I think need to be changed. Uh, remember now I'm based in Sweden, so I'm mainly focusing on Scandinavia now when I, when I talk. I don't know exactly how it is in the UK, for example, at the moment. Um, so uh, The problems w- with the number of people working in, in media are exactly the same, Yeah. right? So if you have 50 dinners, you're right, you've got 10 people to go to 50 dinners. Yes. So uh, I, I don't have a solution. I often offer advice to people working with communication, but I don't have a set solution of this is how you should do it. But it has to change. There has to be more heart in what they do uh, for, for the company and for themselves and for the receiver, which is me and in the end my reader if I do a magazine or, or work in social media. Maybe we can have group dinners and group shows. Yeah, do it together, collaborate giant, giant more. giant dinner yeah. and everyone just like that, you only come to one. I yes, but, would be perfect. But it'd be hard to transmit that integrity and that yeah. kind of passion yeah. in this jumbo group dinner, wouldn't it? But I think if you can solve that or find a nice, interesting solution or alternative, you've come a far away. Um, so maybe the problem is design weeks. Mm. Why, why must we do this only one week a year? Well, we do it many weeks in many different places, but yeah. You mean why we don't spread it? Yeah, I've heard that you organize, uh, when, when, you, when you took up your current position, you started organizing um, very impromptu and relaxed dinners with different people who are part of the community here, right? And that, that hadn't happened before. But they're small, intimate things, and they happened, I think, every week or every other week. You yeah, they were great. There was a way of... So you, you didn't make it into one moment, you dragged it over. Yeah, and they, they were very, I mean, there was once a month and at first it was dinners. I think we called them saloons or something, a little bit pretentious. Um, and it was both designers and journalists. Sorry? I'm glad that's on record. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, uh, that ended up with, uh, I think for one or two years, we did uh, we called Tuesday beers at a very traditional place in Stockholm where people that wanted showed up and there was no agenda. Or so that, that was about getting industry to meet or designers yeah. to meet the press side, right? I but think no that was lacking within. in Sweden a little bit. And, and also, again, it had to do with the openness that I then wrote about in the book or the lack of uh, openness between producer, designer or designers competing in the same generation that there needed to be a stronger sense of community uh, in the design industry. And that was a really nice moment in time, actually. People 
opened up, started to collaborate more. Not because of the, the Tuesday beer, but it was the atmosphere uh, in there. Let me provoke you because you said I've got so many things to deal with now. And part of the problem is we keep just launching more products. Are you are you fed up? <laughs> is this too much? Uh, in terms of my work, the from sheer, my point yeah, of view. Yeah, the sheer volume of products to cover. I mean, even on this week, I'm sure there must have been a lot of different things to cover. Is Is it the industry producing too many things? It's funny, I think every single person that I've been moderating this week and also listening to have in one way or another from their perspective mentioned and their designers uh, that they always talk to their colleagues about the volume of of products that they give birth to and mm. the mass production and how fed up they are with they, it and they do want we need to slow more down. things. They, yeah. That's a theme. They want to slow down. Yeah, it could be, I mean, from different point of views, but some start working more small scale and with makers and and uh, some are mentioning, you know, working more towards galleries, producing less, but for an elite audience, but at least it's less products. But they've all mentioned it this week. When you When you do these things, when you have these weeks, do you walk away with a big theme? Is this... Is this always obvious to you? I'm, this is coming to me as I listen to you and you said this is happening over and over again. Yeah, to, I, I would say I always walk away with a few thoughts and that is definitely one of them that's been brought up in every conversation. And since I do them regularly, I've been you know, really thinking about that that's been a common thread that's so you're, you're a barometer measuring the pressure of the industry. <laughs> but I also notice myself saying that when when producers ask me what I think about what they're showing, or or uh, that I I I like when it's less and well produced than much, and it doesn't much doesn't need to be not well produced, but it's just much more attractive with less to focus on, to think about, to really try out, than a company arriving to the fair with 20 new products or 11 new products. It's not as attractive somehow. But how do you square this off with the demands of social media? You, I mean, you yourself have to deal with that. It's got nothing to do with the producers. Where um, creating content and keeping people engaged seems to be the name of the game, right? And so how do you keep people engaged in terms without, of what flooding I them, without flooding them? I'm talking in a general point of view, but now think about your own work, right? Without flooding them with, with information. You know, you're complaining that we're flooding the market with product, we're flooding the market with press releases, with dinners. And yet I go to social media, it's like there's a whole flood there and people say you have to do it because you have to produce content. But isn't it the same thing? They were also flooding those people with with this these images. Well, I, I, we don't just produce images, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be news. I think uh, a few years ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, it was always uh, the producers saying or the companies saying, "Oh, we feel the pressure because uh, journalists are always asking us for what the next new? thing, what's new, and we have to provide them with something." I don't feel that's the 
case anymore. I don't feel we chase it in the same way. Uh, I think um, social media for sure are quite happy with just a great image. It doesn't have to be content or new chairs or something like that. So I think you can find different ways of providing information. We can write about a design museum. We don't have to have a new chair necessarily to write about. Uh, in fact, there are so many new things that you have to have uh, special, you know, kitchen special where you just have all these images and it's, it, that's not so interesting. So I don't think there need to be news constantly. This brings me to a world where, where people who are behind organizations have suddenly revealed themselves, right? And they've become part of the dialogue. If I look at you, there's part of your um, social media presence, which has got to do with what I might call professional matters. And then there's part of it, which is you going about your, not your life, because I'm sure there's private bits, right? But going about your day-to-day how do you feel about this now that you have a chance to step back and look at it? Is it is it a good thing that we now know a lot of things about you? Do you mean, um, could you specify when a little people, bit? Well, you know, for example, an editor of a publication um, might just, you know, photograph them doing their job, but also there's your your social gatherings and your, you know, places that you visit and, and where you are. And that, that seems to be now in the public domain, isn't it? As part of this, yeah, in terms of, for example, my my Instagram account or such, that yes. it's open to the public. That's right. And so you're revealing your your private persona. Yeah, it's always uh, it's something I think about, uh, but I tend to show as little or as much private that I'm comfortable with. It's very little children in my Instagram account. Um, there is a husband sometimes. It's an angle of my house, but it's still very, privacy is still kept private, I think. But is that push or pull? Are you doing it because this new world demands it or because you yourself feel that it's time to show yourself? No, I've that account that is my private, I've always done because I enjoy it. I haven't looked for a certain agenda to do it. Uh, I don't have anywhere near as much followers as I have on my on magazine your, on your account. Publication account. Yeah. So and I take care of them all, so it's just different angles I publish. How do you do all this? Because it, it seems to it's me like you have to... It's my morning routine, Louis. <laughs> so you're, you're an insanely organized person. So you, you, Sorry, did you just say you spend all morning preparing your no, social media? No, account? it's I just do it before I get up. Morning coffee and uh, I do my account. Get your posts yeah. out of the way. Yeah. So the key to that is, is a very strict schedule, right? Dedicate 25 minutes every day to if it. If I feel like it. it. Sometimes I skip it, but absolutely, yeah. What about the business? Do you get any help on that front? Do other people post on the business account? So it's you. Yes, this is part me. of that amazing cost cutting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Uh, but it's not because uh, my team is lazy or anything. It's because no, I've just uh, really. <laughs> I've kept it to myself. I don't give the passwords out to them because I want it in a certain aesthetic and one voice. But, you, you know, I'm, I've been intrigued how people are multitasking a lot more because I guess if you go back into a, a certain past, the editor was in the office 
looking at the articles, shouting at the journalists, telling them to deliver according to the deadline, right? Have I described the life of an editor back then? <laughs> but now there's not only is there this um, pressure to go out on events and to attend all these amazing invitations that you're getting, but there's also this social media side that you have to run. This is a lot of extra work. Mm. Are you delivering all this work with quality? Because how, how we're all human. There's only 24 hours in the day. I think uh, a major change has all, also been the systems that we work in. It, they have become more uh, eff efficient. So we shouldn't forget about that. We what, work, what are the systems? Uh, Tell me. Uh, let's say I do magazines, for example. So the publishing systems, the, the, the computer the system, the layout, the software is better. So we're working in a much more efficient way. So you can put a magazine together faster. Because of yes, this. it's more, we're, we, we're more efficient. Uh, and there is also um, the companies are producing better images. I mean, the, the, we're all much faster uh, in, the, in terms of how we work. So that is a change. Uh, we just comparing my team to how we work now compared to five years ago, we, uh, we're faster. But saying that there is a limit to how much we can be pushed. Uh, and I think we reached that now. We, uh, now it's affecting the quality. Because the modern media company seems to have to produce the content, work on events, handle social media, right? Uh, reach out to readership um, through other channels. If I have listed here the main yeah, areas absolutely. of work, so this is, uh, and this is we, a we lot have of... to make a magazine as well. Oh, yeah. yes, let's not forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How often does that come out? Uh, Every month? Our, our magazine Every um, comes out uh, 10 issues per year, plus we have an annual one. And then uh, we have the digital, the site. So, uh, but we're very print based. So, th this solution has been one that a number of people have applied. But now you begin to see the ends, the end of the line. Yes. Which means that to grow, you're going to have to change or something's going to have to change again. I think there's no more costs to be cut. Okay. We've, we've found the bone. Yeah. So to grow, you're going to have to invest once again. Yeah. Or we can even so we can grow and stay in the same where we are now, but we cannot cut more people or cut more costs or take away proofreading and think we can keep the quality. But let me be the devil's advocate. Is there a reason to invest again in media? Do, do you know what I'm saying? But part of the reason why the industry, your industry seems to have suffered is that the money used to come in in a certain way that used to fund all the different activities that, that you guys uh, got involved with. And that money stopped coming in that way. It went somewhere else and hence the cuts, right? But so let's say now you want to argue for new effort, new investment. Will the money come back? Um, this is an interesting topic that I think because a lot it, about. But to be, to be if you simplify it, you're right. Uh, the money doesn't come in in the same way as it did. Uh, but that is more true for the big, uh, big magazines that used to bring in a lot of money. Of readers and millions uh, if you look at the more niche magazines and, or niche publications, it's actually a good time for them. It's not, uh, they're affected in a different way. 
So in terms of my specific magazine, the bottom line is not changed on profit. But we belong to a big publishing house and the publishing house needs to invest for the future, need to cut costs on where the old money comes from and look at new venues and digital and uh, invest in that. So they need to transform as a company in down to the way we work. So of course the costs that are cut from what I do uh, are not necessarily because the publication of, I do of is suffering. Performance. Yes. So I think the, the, the way media used to look and the big publishing houses, they have to change the way they work. So I have full respect and understand understanding for that. But the future, in the future, we will see the niche magazines and niche publications and good quality print. Uh, that's a life. They will have a life and they will be invested in and they will be cherished just as books are popular and we're buying books again and book trade has gone back up. So, but these small niche magazines, they bring in too little money for the big publishing houses. So they will have to be independent, private. They have to be independent. You know what worries me though, when I see a lot of startup magazines, they feel, it feels to me that they're under a lot of pressure to cover a lot of bases mm. because they're told that, Printing a magazine isn't enough, so they have to run a club for their readers, and then they have to run a dinner for their friends, and then they have to do the social media work that you're talking about, and then they have to go into video. And so it, these projects become, in, in my view, labors of love, mm. the, these passion projects, because these five people, or whatever the number is, are doing so many different things mm. that it's hard to, to get a, a return on their effort. Don't you worry about that? You said let's be small and independent. In, or, or. Uh, when I say small and independent, I don't mean uh, a one magazine with three Stable. people working on it. I mean small publishing houses. Like okay. there so, has to be uh, absolutely a passion for it. But it, it, I think you need more than just one magazine. So you if need, the old school magazine conglomerate had, say, 50 magazines, today we might be headed for five. Yes. Okay, but it's still five magazines, so that's five a lot. Five magazines and also maybe doing other things as well within that. You know, a publishing house doesn't have to, over the future, doesn't necessarily have to do just print or have one site. It might be other things included, but it still has to be a publishing house, I think. That's a relief because I thought you had condemned the publishing house to the, to the dustbin of history. But you're really saying they need to think on a different scale. Yeah, and they have to adapt their products to the publishing house. So if you're a big publishing house, you might be ending up in five years' time selling travels uh, and digital services and, uh, and not magazines. So it's a change in industry. What have you done that... that begins to point towards that way because you're publishing a magazine but you've also brought in your can i call them bookazines is that is that a fair way of mm -hmm. describing it and w w what does that do for you does it open you to a new audience or does it have a uh, does it simply reinforce the magazine what are, what do the bookazines do that change things uh, i pushed and argued and begged my publishing house to let me do it because of the belief that we just spoke about. Um, I believe in, in good print, beautiful paper, beautiful layout, something that's more resembling a book. Uh, 
and that you can't be local anymore. You have to be international. You have to go global. The audience is more than just the people in one country. So instead of doing something in Swedish, we needed to do it in English. Uh, and my publishing house had never done anything. Uh, that that in, went beyond the borders of no. Sweden. No, so it, well, they've done within Scandinavia, but distribution outside of Scandinavia was unknown to them. So they said, yes, if you sort it out and if you promise to deliver, I, I couldn't lose money on the project. Right. And it was a success. I mean, it was started slowly because I had to do the distribution and get a grip about it. But now it's a very cherished project within the within the publishing house. So what what is work there? Is it the fact that you went and found a new audience outside Sweden? Yeah, I think That's the Scandinavia key, has, uh, is people are very interested in Scandinavian interiors and design. And we don't work with agencies buying ready-made features. We actually go out and we work with our photographers and our stylists and we go to visit interesting people in their homes. So it's material that are exclusive to us and we repackage it in in this book a scene. So it wasn't a way of saving money and not paying the photographers and republish their stories. It was a way of presenting it for a new audience. I'm listening to you and, and listening to the, the international success of this bookazine. And it's reminding me how Scandinavian uh, companies and interiors have somehow in the last five, maybe 10 years, somewhere around there, it's just become the flavor of the day once again. Did you see this coming? Do you want to specify that as well? Do you mean the furniture or the... You know, there's been success at both, in both uh, sides. I think um, certainly a new generation of companies have appeared. And they found success uh, as if the market was was waiting for them. Um, it, they've also innovated, that's true. But there's also a lot of interest in the the mm. look and mm. the feel mm. of the place, right? Mm. When when I hear people talk about, say, Copenhagen, mm. they're not just talking about the city. It's the places they mm. think they can see in that city and, and what they look like. Mm. So that, this is a resurgence in the whole Scandinavian Yeah, absolutely. Movement. It came out of the blue, I think. I think with, uh, I think about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, uh, we had this big surge of Danish companies that's working with Swedish designers. And that was a huge interest and it was a new interest in the whole market. And and uh, I thought that would kind of die out after a few years. So you didn't see it coming? You are surprised no, it's still... No, but then it's just... It's changed into something else, I would say. The whole interior in, design in, scene. In actually. what way? What you, you okay, so interiors all over the world or interiors here in in here, Scandinavia? Yeah. We we are very good at so let's say the Danes are very good at packaging their companies and, and distributing uh, their furniture. Uh, but we also have a whole set of professionals, stylists, interior designers, photographers that have together come together and set a tone that if you go to Italy, for example, I was just saying before we met, I was speaking about coming back from the Milan Furniture Fair and you've gone to these amazing installations for big fashion brands and they've, it's amazing to walk in there. And then you come home and you want to publish a story about it and the photography, it, it doesn't live up to what we publish in the magazine. 
So I always travel, I have to travel with my photographer, uh, where that would never happen. If you look at this week, every single exhibition in the city, it's photographed perfectly with professional stylists, professional photographer. You can get a bit cynical about it. I can. Yeah, but... Everything's packaged. Yeah, but it's done well. And that's been doing, we've been doing that for quite a few years. And that's been part of the success as well. So it's not only that the companies have defined this new world with their products and with their brands and their strategy. It's also that you guys have somehow set the tone visually. Yeah, I really believe so. World domination awaits, right? Yes. I don't know where, where it will head. I have no idea. I know that photographers and stylists from Scandinavia are very attractive for, for other companies outside of Scandinavia. And that's been going on for a few years. I know that designers and art directors in Scandinavia are asked to work for companies in Europe to help them with their social media strategies, their with photography. Their so, I mean, something is going on, but I don't know where we will end up. All right. This has been a busy design week. What has caught your eye? What is happening? I think... Um, what we just spoke about, less products, the need, the want for less products uh, is a thought that I, I take with me. But it's just a thought. People haven't yet delivered. No, right? no. we see a lot of products out there. Yeah. Uh, craft, uh, quality. Um, but remember, that's also something I search for. So, but a lot of wood, uh, natural wood, uh, focus on... Um, Actually, more and more, what I see, the Swedish companies or Scandinavian companies are coming back to produce in Europe and Scandinavia. Okay, this is this has been going on for a little while, but yeah. this is becoming more evident. But I see it, yeah, it's more evident now, um, and not uh, as a part of their communication strategy, but actually uh, it's something that's uh, worthwhile to do for them. Um what about all this talk about environmental responsibility? Is this for real or or just pure marketing? I think for the first time I feel that at least 50% is for real. Whereas before it was something, you, a label you put on to, to market yourself. How, or, how can you begin to tell apart? So you, you somehow feel people more earnest yeah. Or you look at things and you say, now I understand this language. They've gone through a much bigger effort to do it for real. They've changed the profile of the company. Um, they uh, work in a much more honest way and transparent way and show how they work and get about it. And they also, I think in general, companies are more open with the parts that they need to better. They're not trying to hide it. We need to work on this. So there's side. honesty. Where I think there's say, a bigger in honesty. Yeah. I'm 90% good. The 10% mm, yeah. is still work in and progress. And this I still need to work on. Yeah. It's a general feel. I can't pinpoint and I'm not going to bring up a certain no, particular can, company. But it's a general, that. I, I, that's uh, a feeling. I so before, um, people might say, we've made all this effort. And you, and you might say, surely there must be some rough edges somewhere. But now the honesty reinforces what they've actually done. Right? I feel that's that's 
how th- th- that's the thing a thought I bring with me after this week yeah hey for a person that's supposed to be oversaturated and getting bombarded with messages that's a refreshing thought that you can still it is a refreshing from. thought yes that by not giving you just pure marketing I somehow have done better very very true <laughs> hey so we might have reached a conclusion here Anna Nova, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining our conversation and help us make new friends by leaving us a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Stay well and see you soon.